Hello and welcome to University. I'm Jo Fisher and I'll be talking to some of my amazing colleagues from the University of Southampton over a nice cup of virtual tea. We'll find out how they are adapting to this new way of working, what pearls of wisdom they can offer and asking important questions like, what makes the perfect tea break? This week, I'm joined by Nick Povey, Chief Security Officer at the University of Southampton. Well, hi, Nick. It's really nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you too. Have you got your cup of tea ready? I have got my tea here. Yes. Excellent. How many have you had so far today? Because this is a morning chat. This is my fourth. We do start quite early um, in our department. We, we're normally in the office by about six o'clock. So for for me, this is halfway through the day almost. So <laughs> <laughs> you should be having lunch any any minute now. Exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. I am. Um, I keep forgetting about my tea and leaving it to go cold. So this is about my third, but I've only managed to drink about one cup of tea out of that. So it's going well. I seem to have a sixth sense for tea, and, and I've never. I don't think I've ever let one go cold. It's uh, it doesn't last long enough normally. That's yeah. that's a good skill to have. Yeah. I think a lot of us could a lot of us could do with that. So how are you finding things working from well, are you working from home? Is that how your job works? I am. I mean, I don't normally work from home. I don't think many of us do. Um, you know, but it's, it's different times now, isn't it? So uh, I normally would be in the office Monday to Friday, but on call pretty much 24-7, seven days a week. So my hours normally vary depending on the needs of the university and what's going on. Myself and my two managers who I work with, Ray and Andy, um, we made the conscious decision that when we locked down that we would all relocate to home mm. um, and the primary reason for that was that the you know we're trying to protect the teams that are in university at the moment mm. and they're working 24 7 in you know in mm. the university trying to keep the university ticking over keeping it safe and doing all the jobs that they need to do and what we don't want to do is to be the one link to the outside that, that, that brings in something nasty. So we've made a conscious decision to try and work from home as much as we can. Mm. So the majority of my time now is spent in my in my dining room at, at home, um, mm. which is challenging because my wife's always you know working from home as well. Mm. She works in London normally, so she's now at home, and we've got a five year old running around as well. Um, <laughs> so that's even more challenging, uh, and I think most parents uh, would would you know. Uh, sympathise with that because they'll understand exactly what it's like you know yeah. you're trying to juggle a job yeah. and trying to juggle parenting and <laughs> you know becoming a teacher as well which yeah. I'm not used to so <laughs> it's yeah it's difficult times it's uh, different times I, I probably should say mm. yeah, different times but mm. we try to to be as positive as we can with the situation you know it's almost like a social experiment that we're going through at the moment it must be very different to what sort of normal security work sort of looks like I, I can imagine that you didn't really anticipate that you'd be sort of working and, and managing security at the university from your dining room but no. these are strange times that we live in so it's it's a whole new world how are you finding sort of managing sort of childcare and homeschooling I suppose as well. We have to have a structure that's what we found very early on that we needed some kind of structure. Mm. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination what it normally means is that that we end up tag teaming you know entertaining the little one and, and mm. you know reading books etc and then we'll swap over and and you know we'll do some more that can't always work like that you know the mm. last week 
we both had conference calls at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, that's part of the part of the job. So you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say, unfortunately, we plonked in front of an iPad yeah. for for half an hour. Yeah. I said, right, entertain yourselves, <laughs> and uh, off we went and did what we needed to do. But um, it, you know, it's needs must. So it is. It's very different to what we're used to, but mm. we're we're making the best of a bad situation. I would yeah. say. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a good approach and a good attitude to have. Uh, you know, we can't change mm. what's happening, so we might as well do what we can to sort of get through it and and see the positives. So if you weren't, you know, working from home or we weren't going through lockdown. Yeah. What would your normal sort of working day look like? Well, for me, I would normally get in shortly, if not six o'clock, shortly after six o'clock in the morning. The reason I get in so early is because that gives me a head start on the day. If we've had incidents overnight or into the previous evening, it gives me an opportunity to investigate them and find the answers mm. which are to the questions <laughs> which are obviously going to be asked when the rest of the university comes into work in the morning. So I like to have the answers ready to go. I would then review any staff issues that have occurred over the last 24 hours. I'd have a, normally have a meeting with my two managers and the supervisor if need be, and we'd have to sit down and have a chat about what needs to be done, try and plan the day ahead and the week ahead. You know, we'd, we'd try and look at at least two weeks in advance to see if we're, if we, if we're ahead of the curve on certain things that are coming up you know if it's graduation coming up we need to be months in advance obviously but Mm. on a weekly basis we tend to look two weeks in advance of what needs to be done and then a lot of my time then is spent unfortunately at my desk Uh, I'm on several committees in the university that take up some of my time particularly leading up to the the lockdown of the university the business continuity Mm. planning committee the crisis management team you know that that was you know I had to be involved in that from a early doors and an input from a security perspective, um, and then it's it's I'm going to say mundane stuff because it is day to day stuff like you know risk assessments and yeah. the health and safety aspects of it, the employment aspects of the the role take up a huge amount of my time. I'm very much a hands on manager. I like to get hands on. I mm. I find that I go a little bit stir crazy if I'm at my desk for too long. So I I tend to break it up get the stuff that needs to be done done and then if something you know if I need to get out and about I will do I try and I try and interact with the guys who are on the front line the security officers as much as I possibly can mm. I suppose a few people including myself have a bit of a set idea in their head about what security at the university entails and the sort of things that you do around our campuses and obviously you know you and your team the the guys out there every day on campus what sort of range of incidences do you have to deal with and are there, are there any sort of areas of of your and your team's work that we may not expect that you have to deal with it oh wow that's uh, that's <laughs> it's like a pandora's box that one we're the only department that are there 24 7 mm. you know we're there at three in the morning uh three o'clock in the afternoon seven days a week christmas day we are there so anything that happens on the university out of the norm would tend to have an involvement of security we dealt with everything from first aid instance all the way up to horses loose on wide lane sports ground. So, <laughs> so you know, we got the one end, we got the norm, which we expect. Mm. We expect to go to first aid instance. See, during term time, that's probably our biggest call is, is first mm. aid. 
particularly at the exam time, mm. um, uh, as you can probably Im- imagine, with the stresses involved around exams, mm. right the way up to using the vehicles to corral horses back into their field. <laughs> so, and everything in between. So it really is a really varied role. You know, I've been here for two and a half years now. What we're trying to do is, is develop how it's perceived, how the department's perceived mm. by staff and students into more than just mm. um, what we used to call key janglers, locking doors, unlocking doors. It's more than that. Mm. You know, we, you know, we've, got a, we've got a bigger remit now with regards to the student experience and making sure that, that the student experience is is as positive as it possibly can be. And that's not just my department, that's certainly all of the estates and facilities uh, have got that, that remit, and that goes out to the rest of the university as well, all the support aspects of the, of the university. We want to make sure that, that if a student deals with security, that they walk away knowing that they've been dealt with you know, positively and they have a positive outcome, mm. uh, regardless of the situation that we're dealing with them. Mm. Do you feel that there's still very much a stereotype, obviously, as you've been saying about key janglers, but a stereotype of, sort of security staff? Mm. And is that something that you're trying to sort of dispel and, and change? Yes, I do. I, th- I think that um, it's very easy, and, and we don't help ourselves, to be honest with you, you know, because we, we put our staff in uniforms, so there's automatically there's a uniformity there, mm. bright fluorescent stab vests, and we send them out to deal with first aid incidents, and we send them out to deal with road traffic accidents. Mm. So there, there's already that perception that that's what security does, and what they don't see is the other side of it. Uh, they don't see the three o'clock in the morning security supporting students with mental health issues on campus. They don't see us supporting professors who have got an issue with their, their work in their office and they need to gain access to that. You know, they don't see that aspect of, of, of us you know, running around try, mm. you know, trying to make sure that, that the students and staff have got what they need and uh, are basically experiencing a positive outcome mm. from whatever interaction they have with security. And it's more than just opening doors and locking doors. Mm. That was one of my... my primary goals when I set out two and a half years ago. It sounds like there is so much to do and, and, and it's a, a hugely varied job and, and there is so much that obviously on a day-to-day basis that people like myself, staff at the university may not be aware of so it's really interesting to hear. You automatically think that Highfield Campus and our other campuses are going to be pretty empty um, during lockdown while many of us are working from home. But as well as your security team, there's probably quite a few other people still working on campus. How many people and groups are, are still working? It's difficult to give a number, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of different departments and a lot of different functions still carrying on some of it in in reduced numbers as expected just the cleaners alone um, we've got cleaners on on site to deal with the buildings that are still in uh, still in use by the research teams and other buildings we've got the electrical and mechanical teams working hard to make sure that the buildings are still doing what they should be doing including all the building checks and, and making sure that all of the important safety checks that need to be done are still continuing because we can't ignore mm. the fact that um, you know the fire safety systems still need to be checked etc and, yeah. and other and the mechanical aspects as well need to be checked so they're still on site doing it landscaping teams are still there making sure that that you know the, the place doesn't turn into a jungle um, <laughs> so, so they're you know they're working hard and you know particularly with the vaccine trials that we're doing the catering teams 
were in mm. as well, mm. making sure that the NHS staff were catered for. Um, and that, that also, you know, it doesn't include as well the you know, professional management uh, aspect that are on site, making sure that all of this is working as it should do. Mm. You know, I'm scared mm. that I, I list, list loads and then miss some out because there are still quite a few of the support functions um, on site, making sure that we, you know, everything is is doing what it should be doing, so that mm. we can open the university as quickly as possible, mm. as and when we get the go ahead and you know the green light. Mm. Yeah, there are so many amazing people still sort of going to and from campus and and making sure everything's running smoothly and that we're contributing to the um, effort against the virus, but also keeping everything safe and keeping everyone well. So I think huge thanks to everyone who's in those teams and working really really hard still on campus. You've mentioned that you joined the university about two years ago. What was your sort of career trajectory before that? Where did you work before? What was your sort of career journey like? Prior to university I worked for over 20 years in the casino sector uh, in surveillance primarily in London as a surveillance officer. I started back in the day, 1996, I think it was, I joined uh, back then. So I spent a little bit of time doing surveillance uh, and I was promoted up to regional manager and then head of security for the, the large corporation. And we had casinos everywhere from Southampton to Scotland, out to Cairo. So I spent a lot of time travelling, a lot of time investigating crimes and essentially just trying to catch thieves. That was our, that was our, our primary role. That sounds so dramatic. I bet you have lots of sort of exciting and, and interesting stories from that time. I can imagine that, that lots went on in the in the casinos while you were there. Yeah, there's, when I look back at the, all of the jobs, as we called them, that I was involved in, there's... You know, they are far too numerous that I, can, I can't remember all of them. And it'll just take, you know, I'll just see something on TV and go, oh, I remember that, that I used to deal with something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, you know, there, there was some, some really interesting stories, um, some really fun people to work with. It, it's not for everyone. It's a very unique industry in as much as very long hours, mm. uh, a lot of travelling. It's not as glamorous as it sounds working in casinos. By, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, it's nowhere near as glamorous as it may seem. Literally, when you're eating a ham and cheese toasty in the basement of a poker room, you know, the, the, the shine soon wears off. You know. My team were involved in some really big jobs. The last five years of me working in the industry, you know, we ended up at the Supreme Court uh, which is the first time that a case like that had gone to the Supreme Court that involved a £7 million theft Gosh. by a poker player. So it was really, really interesting times. Mm. I made the decision to leave and come to the university because, you know, that 22 years in that kind of industry is a long mm. time. The mm. shine had worn off for me, to be honest with you. When you're flying in from Cairo on the Sunday and then to up to Manchester on the Monday and Birmingham on the Tuesday and, and you don't get to see your family mm. you don't you know you don't get to see your kids you you know it's, it's it, it takes its mm. toll on your health as well mm. I was gonna say it's a very different 
job working, going from working from at a casino, I assume, to working at a university? And were your family a big part of that sort of career change decision? Or was it also an interest in maybe um, what goes on at the university as well? Funny enough, I, I, you know, I've been keeping an eye on the university for, you know, because I've lived in Southampton 11 years and I knew about the university but didn't know a lot about it. And this sector had always interested me, always interested me. I knew some people who had worked in here before. One of my friends was a security manager up in Birmingham and he raved about it. You know, mm. it's a great industry to work in, you know, it's, it's very positive and you feel like you're actually contributing and I think adding up all those parts but the big part for me was the family um, you know spending more time with the family spending more time at home you know I, I do very little traveling with the university now because there's no need for me to do that mm. I, I'm based at, at, at Highfield mm. so it, it that was the primary reason for me changing careers and I don't regret it for a second you know I love it here I'm working with a really great bunch of guys and gals mm. they work very very hard they do a really tough job to be honest with you um, and I've got a great team around me as well you know in management both above and, uh, and, and below and I you know I don't regret it for a second. It sounds like it was a good decision made to move jobs. I've got no doubt it was I, I, I think that I'm healthier now than I ever have been certainly for the last 15 years I would imagine um, and uh, yeah it, it helps me that, that both my managers are, are what we call racing snakes you know they're, they're in the gym every day they're cycling they're running and and uh, that gives me great great incentive not to be outdone by them so I'm trying to keep up but but I'm a long way back though to be honest with me it's good to have some healthy competition to keep you keep you moving keep you motivated yeah 100% <laughs> So you sound like a very busy man. Um, have you had any spare time while we've been in lockdown to pursue any hobbies at all? Um, I have. Um, like most people, you have to factor in some downtime. It's difficult when we're, as we said before, we're tag teaming throughout the day with childcare because mm. it normally means it stretches the day out a little bit longer. Mm. But at weekends for instance or during the close down period because the weather was so nice most of the time we spent in the garden we bought this house 10 years ago and it was quite run down then so the garden is really the last part to, to really get to grips with but I'm not a gardener mm. so it, everything takes three <laughs> times as long because I need more tea breaks than most people probably because <laughs> I, I, I don't feel the enthusiasm <laughs> for gardening as some people do so um, so we spent a lot of time in the garden try, trying to get that garden sorted but that, yeah, we're starting to see the results now so that's really good really yeah, worth I, it I enjoy that yeah and I've, I've heard that you have collected many an interesting hobby and interest yes. over over the number of years and you've got some very um, unusual and exciting skills. Would you mind telling me a bit about those? Yes, luckily my wife's not in the room. I always should be laughing out loud now <laughs> because she she always takes the mickey out of me because I, I tell, I'm one of these people over the last 20 years where I'll, if something piques an interest, I'll throw myself into it, mm. learn all, as much as I possibly can about it and then discard it and move on so I've, I've, I'm a serial hobbyist much to her annoyance as you can probably imagine three years ago now I think it was three years ago I managed to get my private pilot's license amazing um, which is something that I've, I've wanted to do 
since I was a, a, a little boy, really. You know, I remember going to like the Big and Hill Air Show with my dad when I was six and wanting to fly then. And I've managed to do it three years ago after a lot of training because um, it's, it's quite hard work, to be honest with you. If you're not doing it full time, if you can only do it like at the weekends or once every couple of weeks, mm. it takes a lot of a lot of commitment uh, to, to get it done but I was you know over the moon when that happened unfortunately you know the, the weather over the winter was shocking and <laughs> as soon as the weather started getting good we went into lockdown so oh. it's almost like it was teasing us because oh. uh, you know, we haven't been able to fly so um, I need to get back into it once we come out of mm. lockdown and the weather turns mm. good I'll, I'll be back flying again that's so unusual and um, I'm sure a lot of people are a little bit green with envy because I personally know a few people who would love to learn how to fly so that's a very unusual skill to add to your cv <laughs> could you tell us a bit more about how what you actually have to do to get your um, pilot's license because i can imagine it is very very complicated yeah, yeah it can well, it can be it, it can it can take quite a long time anywhere up to a year to to get your license maybe even longer if you're unlucky with the weather or or the likes but uh, i think it took just over six months for me to get it, and that was quite quick, but I was quite lucky with the weather. Essentially, it's broken up into different areas of training. You've got your flight training, which is where you're sitting with a flying instructor up in a plane and you're learning how to control the plane and fly the plane. Mm. Then you do your exams. At the same time, you do your ground exams, which are, uh, I think there's nine exams in total where you do ex you know, quite complex exams. I mean, the manuals are, are probably about an inch thick each. Uh, everything from air law to navigation to meteorology. Mm. Um, so you, you have to do retain this knowledge and do the exams. And then you, get, you come to your actual flight tests. The final exam is with a flying examiner where you go up for a couple of hours and they you know, ask you to control the plane and do certain manoeuvres. The scariest part is in about the middle of your training when you've just done your navigational exam. You've got to plan a route to two different airfields and it's about 200 miles, I think, route you've got to plan. And you've got to land at two separate airfields and then come back to base. But you're on your own, you're solo, Gosh. you're not allowed GPS and you've only got to use a map and compass. Oh, and that for, for most students I've spoken to who were going through it at the same time, that's the most daunting test to do because you're on your own, you're 200 miles from home in a strange airfield, um, looking at the weather, hoping it's not going to cloud over. Um, uh, and, and bearing in mind, you've, you've probably only done about 20 hours of flying uh, at that point. It's, it's quite daunting. But... <laughs> The, the payback is when you get back to your home base with a little bit of paper that's been stamped by the other airfields mm. um, is, is a massive sense of achievement. And you know then that you're, mm. you're pretty much on the home stretch. You've done the hardest part. You've just got to get through the final exam. Mm. That sounds incredibly intense, but dare I ask if you passed with flying colours? Uh, <laughs> very good, yes. Uh, I, I did pass, thank God. Yes, I, I did pass. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say it was flying colours but uh, I did I did pass which was uh, good enough for me I'll take that brilliant do you have any other skills that may be more lockdown friendly I used to collect medals for 
a number of years. Um, I still do really, but I'm, I'm not actively mm. collecting at the moment. Mm. So it's one of those hobbies that you can come back to and you, you know, every couple of years I'll, I'll throw myself mm. back into it for three months and then, uh, and then put them away and, and, and carry on uh, with normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about it is the research behind it because mm. you can, you know, you, it just looks like a piece of metal. But you know, actually, when you do the research about who it was awarded to and what their life story was, and mm. you know, going off to the First World War, and you know, I, I had one medal that was um, allocated to a pilot who was in the back seat of a plane in the First World War when he died with an ace, uh, a pilot ace in the front seat. And oh, you, know, you read that kind of story, and it. It kind of brings it to life a little bit, and mm. you, you know, you've, you've, you know, you can look into their family history and where they came from, and mm. and it, I, I just feel that, you know, for again, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it, it, you know, if I, you know, I've done that research and I'm remembering that person for what they did for us, and and it almost perpetuates their memory, should mm. we say, and, I, and that's that's the interesting part mm. I find about it. It's not just a piece of metal; it's about the story behind that. Mm. There's so many personal, sto- you know, memories and stories behind what may just be seen as just an object. So yes. I think that's such a lovely interest to have mm. and quite important as well if we're thinking about sort of keeping memories going and, and keeping stories alive as well. So it's quite, it sounds like quite an important hobby, actually, yeah. much more so than baking, which I know I'm personally attempting <laughs> during lockdown. There's nothing wrong with baking. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you've got the finished product and, and you have to eat your way through an entire cake I'm, I'm okay with that sounds good to me <laughs> so everyone we've spoken to so far on um, this podcast we've asked them if they have an object that either sort of represents their work and what they do or sort of reminds them of a point in their career that means quite a bit to them do you have anything that you may sort of want to share with us that sort of says something about you and your work am I allowed to <laughs> I think that would be okay I don't see why not yeah. go for it I've got I've got one I've got one from my previous employment and I've got one from my new employment as in with the university they're not linked in the slightest but they've both got different stories behind them the one from my old employment goes back to the supreme court that I mentioned there and what it what it is was the guy who was cheating he cheated us for 7 million pounds and we caught him Gosh. and he ended up at the supreme court as a civil action um, which we won mm. and it took several years to go that far I went through the high court supreme court and, and the likes and it was obviously at that period um it was very stressful mm. uh, an awful lot of work went into it you know it was a lot was riding on it as well because you know seven million pounds is a huge amount of money mm. but we ended up winning the case and unbeknownst to me um, my boss at the end of the case uh, once we once it had been done and dusted got hold of the original playing cards that we used in the game um, to cheat us and he had them sealed in in perspex in a presentation sealed in perspex and and we each got each one of the team members on the case got this uh, playing card perspex it was that you know the cards were actually used to, to cheat us so it's, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite good you know we actually get that uh, and that's uh, that's at my in my office and the other object actually was given to me on my first day when I came into uh, into the department it wasn't given to me directly it was left on my desk right? and uh, I, I like it because I think it was the guy's 
pushing me a little bit, challenging the new guy, <laughs> see you know, see what what sense of humour I had, see how far they could they could push me, and it was a little plastic model of Gru, the character Gru, <laughs> our minions, yeah, <laughs> um, because I've been told that I have a passing resemblance to Gru. Okay, <laughs> now. What they didn't know was that Gru had been my nickname for the previous five years at work. So, <laughs> so for them to give me that, you know, I, I don't. If they were trying to push me, then it went completely. You know, it was completely the opposite reaction because I actually <laughs> found it really funny, and I've still got that today. But I literally got them side by side on my uh, on my bookcase at work. Oh, I love that. I love those, and it sort of connects your sort of two the two sides of your career. Yeah. And 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 that obviously bridges it a little bit. It does. Yeah. Your sort of nickname followed you yeah. <laughs> without you expecting yeah, exactly yeah if anyone listening sort of fancies keeping up with um, what the security team are up to or even getting in touch if they have any sort of questions how can they sort of stay in touch with you or send any messages if they need to get in touch with us then then by all means drop us an email to the CCR, which is Central Control Rooms, uh, and, and we'll get that. Or send me an email directly, and I'll, mm. I'll, I'll get that directly. We've got a website and a Teams page as well. That's one of the things that we're trying to, to develop as well. Mm. You know, when I first came here, you know, we didn't have any of that. You know, we're, we're trying to just make make us more available and more, you know, you know, more approachable is probably a better way of putting it. And, and by having these Teams pages and, and SharePoint sites and the likes, you know, at least people can see us about if they want yeah. some information and don't particularly want to call us up hopefully they'll find what they need on there yeah and there may be some um, people listening who are still working on Highfield campus and doing the amazing things that they're doing against COVID-19 virus and things so they may see you you and your team about especially on Highfield campus and I have one final very important question for you um, at the end of our podcast how much milk is too much milk in your cup of tea this is yeah this is a very very important question to be honest (laughs) with you and something I'm quite quite passionate about okay if it, if the tea isn't dark brown then it's not being drunk simple as that <laughs> so i would say any more than a splash is too much milk strong cup of tea for you then nick <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me nick it's uh, it's been amazing catching up and, and hearing about your line of work no it's been a pleasure thank you Thanks to Nick for speaking with me today and thanks so much to him and his team for keeping our university safe during this unusual time. If you want to hear more university, then you can subscribe to the podcast, which is available on all major platforms. I'm Joe Fisher. Thank you for listening. This has been a podcast from the University of Southampton.